This is What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned to many churches throughout the world, including the Lutheran Church, on Sunday mornings. Today we'll receive water from a rock, love in the midst of dying, and the challenge from enemies who become bearers of good news. We're so glad you're with us. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. We're the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And for the next few minutes, we're going to be discussing the readings that you'll be hearing in church this coming Sunday. It helps us to talk through the readings early in the weeks to get some perspective. And we hope it may help you too as you prepare for Sunday morning. For this season of our podcast, we've been inviting special guests to come on and quiz us or give us a hard time or share their thoughts about the Bible. It's been really fun for us to have these conversations, and today we are turning up the pressure on the pastors by inviting our bishop, Patricia <gasps> Lowe, as our special guest Welcome. this morning. Welcome. Yay. Welcome, Patricia. So honored that our bishop is also a member of our congregation. We feel so fortunate that you'd be with us today. So can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Patricia Lowell. I'm the bishop in the St. Paul Area Synod of the ELCA. And in truth, I am a proud member of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul. More importantly, I'm a fan of what does this mean? Wow. Do you subscribe on iTunes? It's good. Have you gotten the uh, mug? Do we have like membership mugs yet? Tote bags. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, we need swag. What we does do. this mean, That's swag? Yeah. That's yeah. coming. That's coming. What does a bishop do? Quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bishop is a form of being a pastor in the Lutheran Church. It's uh, in many ways a teaching and an administrative role. So I do lots and lots of paperwork. I am with congregations in the midst of call processes. It's my privilege to ordain pastors and deacons, and probably with the lightest but firmest touch, keep all of our churches moving forward into God's future. And how many churches are there in the St. Paul Area Synod? I am so grateful you ask. 110 congregations and mission starts. So is it you that tells pastors where to go? Uh, I not. Own, I don't know that I so much tell them where to go, but doing an installation, I do put them in their place. How do you play a role in helping congregations get their pastors? Uh, yes, in our Lutheran tradition, the bishops do play a role in that. Uh, we in this synod provide names of candidates once a congregation is figured out really what gifts and skills and how much experience they need. Uh, for a pastor. And then at the end of the process, I attest that it's been a fair call process. I sometimes think of you as a matchmaker. There's a bit of that. I have a staff around me that are particularly good at finding the right names. You've been a member of Gloria Day for a while. Tell us other ways you've been involved in our congregation. 
I have not been there as much in recent years as I was when I first joined in 2001. Uh, Over the years, I've preached a number of times. My privilege to have taught in the confirmation program, I think maybe for two years. I have been to a handful of those Wednesday uh, dinners, quite good. And uh, I've been able to volunteer, not recently, but in past years, uh, for Project Home when it was uh, in the months that it's hosted at Gloria Day. And now as bishop, you're often out preaching and leading worship and bringing greetings from the synod to other churches on Sunday mornings. That is correct. Well, we are so glad that you're with us, Bishop. Thank you for sharing your insights with us today. The readings that we're going to be talking about with you are the ones assigned for the third Sunday of Lent. We are in the middle of our season of preparing for Easter, and these scripture verses are rich with meaning and promise. So let's get started. We'll begin with our first reading. Pastor Bradley, would you read it for us? Sure. This is Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock. And water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? First thing that came to my mind, the the word that really stuck out was the word quarrel. And I wondered, is that always how it is with leaders? People are of a joyful spirit, excited spirit, uh, particularly when there's travel involved and before too long, pushing back against the leader and quarreling. It seems to be also something that we do with God. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this great tradition of this whole story is that, you know, they, they long, they yearn for freedom from slavery and to get out of Egypt and um, and they do, they're liberated, but almost right away, they start to complain and wonder what's going to happen to them. And I think, to me, this is an interesting piece of this whole tradition. It's because, like, they've heard the promise, they've even experienced some of the power of God, but the future is still not quite defined. You know, they know they're going somewhere and even have a sense that God is with them, although they're wondering about that. But being like in that middle place between knowing something but not knowing everything, that that's really a hard place to be in. And then we take it out on our leaders sometimes, or leaders take it out on the people. I mean, there's plenty of times here where Moses also complains to God about the people. 
or the pastors take it out on the bishop. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Right. right. Yeah, head up to Mount Horeb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what yeah. I think is so interesting about this tradition is how they've now been liberated and that should be what guides them and brings them joy and sustenance. But almost immediately they find themselves quarreling and even thinking it was actually better back under slavery rather than what we've got now and how much that resonates for us today. How much of our comfort focuses on the one thing we lack, right? So freedom, great. You know, we're no longer slaves, but I sure am thirsty out here. You know, so, or as soon as we have a good night's sleep, we say, well, I sure wish there were some breakfast around here. You know, it's like, instead of being able to enjoy the gift of whatever we received, we're always looking for the next thing or something we feel like we lack, even though we have so much. That grass is always greener phenomenon. I also, in the text, moved to thinking about God, and I think it's through the image of Moses and the staff, whatever that stick was, whatever it was that Moses was carrying, because the reference is to striking the Nile and opening up the water uh, for the escape, not many chapters before Exodus 17. But God does provide water out of the rock. What that would mean to look at a rock in the wilderness and to think that's where the water was. Pretty amazing what God pulls off there. I loved, and I'd never heard it before, but they are almost ready to stone me, and then God provides water from the rock. Well, how interesting that it's the same, you know, it's a stone, but it's the sense of there is life in the midst of the wilderness or the, the rejection or whatever it might be. Well, and it made me think the water is flowing under there all along. It's not like this sustenance comes out of nowhere, that it's actually already under their feet. And what God does is kind of just lead them there and open up what is already available to them. And isn't that part of the truth, too, is we're, we quarrel, we're filled with so much anxiety so often, but the, what we need is, is really right there for us if we'll just pay attention. Let's take a break there and we can come back with our next reading. Welcome back. Our second reading today is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, the first thing that uh, came to me is that I wonder where Paul was living, that he could say we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. It doesn't sound like contemporary America. (laughs) I think so much of what we do is to avoid suffering, uh, to keep it at bay, uh, to keep control of things. So that struck me. I'm hearing across cultures, Mm -hmm. pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Don't admit it. We can't admit to anybody that we're struggling. That's not right. Uh, Much less maybe willingly embrace it. I hadn't really thought about that because this verse is one of those kind of, you know, more well-loved verses, and you just cruise right through it to the end to get to the part, you know, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out. But if you can't deal with that suffering part at the very beginning, you get stuck in the process. I think this is really interesting, and your point is really well taken, Patricia, that we live in a culture that wants to suppress suffering and reject suffering and pretend we don't have suffering. And and the call here is to embrace suffering. And when I was reading this, I was thinking about in seminary, I read Dolores Williams, who is an African-American feminist theologian who wrote a great critique of this tradition of embracing suffering, um, writing from her perspective as a black woman, saying, we've really done a lot of harm by glorifying suffering in the Christian tradition. And it was an especially strong critique of Lutheran Christianity, which always talks about the theology of the cross and God's presence in the midst of suffering and looking at the cross and seeing the suffering and saying, that is where God is most truly present. I agree with what you said, Patricia, and I also hear this other perspective about the danger of glorifying suffering. I think what happens if we switch to the character and the endurance rather than just the starting point with suffering? So much commentary, even driving here, about uh, pandemics, about coronavirus. And I recently said to one of our colleagues in the workplace, uh, if I need to go to the grocery store for you, I will bring you groceries I think that we've, but our first impulse is to say, let me pull back. Am I safe? Have I washed my hands dutifully? Am I out of a danger zone? There's something reasonable about that. But at what point do we, as others in China have done, also begin to reach out toward the neighbor uh, rather than just saying, I'll keep myself safe? And I hope that doesn't counter too much what you're saying about not glorifying suffering but seeing it in a context of community. Right. And maybe part of the difference here is choosing to walk into something on behalf of another is different than 
uh, looking at someone who's suffering and say, oh, you know, that's really good for you. That's so, so holy. Yeah, you yeah. should just, that's okay that you live with that and that we kind of give permission for suffering that's happening in the world that's a result of unjust systems or oppression. And so what you were saying, Pastor Jay, and I heard is that sometimes Christians have given themselves a pass from actually having to deal with the effects of injustice or our own privileged, wealthy status rather than choosing to step out of that, which I hear you talking about, Mm -hmm. Bishop, is this kind of what does it mean to risk for the sake of the other and give up maybe our sense of protection in the this virus it's it's a really great example there was a really interesting letter from i think the uh ELCA bishop in New York who talking about all the precautions but saying also and this is this is not exactly his words but the sense was Let's not become a community that is just afraid of one another. Let's still remember that the Church of Jesus Christ is a community, is a web of relationships in which we care for one another. I think the the sense in Paul's writing of God comes in the shape of the cross the, through the suffering of Jesus, but also through the suffering of other other people as an expression of love, not as an expression of noble pride. And I think what, what you're describing, Pastor Javen, of, you know, when we glorify suffering, especially bad when it's um, people in privilege and comfort saying to those people who are suffering, oh, they're there, look at how glorified you, you should feel because you experience suffering just like Jesus did without actually suffering ourselves. Paul, probably from prison or someplace, can can talk about uh, suffering that I'm a part of, that I've joined into, that I've um, experienced myself, allows me to understand God's love poured out for the world and how often we, you know, we like looking at somebody else's suffering, but we don't really like to share our own story of well, suffering. I think, I think that's the key point, is that when we, as people who are relatively privileged are and are not experiencing suffering— read a passage like this and kind of glorify suffering, that's a very different thing than if you're Paul writing from prison who has experienced suffering saying, in my suffering, I've had this profound experience of God, you know, and I think that's a very different thing. But it's important for us as privileged people to keep that in the back of our minds when we're reading this passage, I think. Maybe that's a great place for us to stop and take a break and look at the next verse. I'm going to warn you, our gospel reading is a long one, so you might want to stop and get a cup of coffee or... Uh, Use the bathroom. <laughs> take, <laughs> take a, a break. longer break this time. We'll be back in just a moment. The gospel for the third Sunday is John 4, verses 5 through 42. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. 
It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The first thing that came to me, and you'll have to forgive me for saying this, Jesus is sitting by the well. He's thirsty. Is he quarreling with God? Mm. I'm connecting to that first lesson. Uh, Did he sit quietly while he was thirsty? Did he say, "Uh, Father, please send somebody with a bucket? I'm just trying to connect that with uh, the people in the wilderness. And it's Jacob's well, right? Mm. And Jacob who wrestled with God and got the new name Israel that means one who wrestles with God. One who wrestles. Yeah. Well, certainly she's wrestling with him, trying to figure out who he is and what's going on here in a way that reshapes her identity Uh, and maybe his too. I don't know. They're wrestling together. I like how the woman says, Jesus talks about water with the woman and she says, what kind of water are you talking about? I don't see you with with a bucket. But then the disciples have kind of the same question, like, does he have food that somebody else gave him? You know, so both of them take him very literally. And Jesus says, I have water that you don't know about, it's gushing up, and I have food that you don't know about. I was thinking, John, it's like when Jesus is talking with people, they're like ships passing in the night. Like Jesus is communicating on one level, and it kind of goes over their heads entirely, and they have a very literal interpretation of what Jesus has just said, and they're, they just like mismeet constantly, which is kind of the point in John's gospel, I think, that Jesus has this um, understanding of things that kind of transcends what the characters in the gospel, what they really understand. I think if I were preaching on this text, I'd spend some time imagining what the woman said back in town. What's the story from her point of view? Because John pretty much has us, I think, from a Jesus point of view, uh, being curious about Jesus. But she becomes a fantastic evangelist. So how did she tell the story. Well, she mm-hmm. says, he knows everything about me. Mm. She, he told me everything about me. So there's like this mystery that he really knows her. And isn't that kind of part of how John weaves the story? It's about knowing who Jesus is and Jesus knows who we are. You know, the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. It's like she's beginning to recognize this person who knows her in some new kind of way. And knows the uncomfortable, vulnerable things about her and names them and draws her into a conversation about that. And somehow that doesn't turn her off completely, but actually draws her more deeply into relationship. I think there's something about the power of vulnerability in this passage too, and about naming the truth of our uncomfortable stories rather than kind of trying to hide them away and keep them in secret. Jesus just kind of brings it right out into the daylight. And the the connection with the enemy. So the Samaritans were considered enemies or really suspect. And Jesus doesn't treat her like that. And she's a woman. And she's a woman. But there's all this sense of him saying, well, I, I know something about your story, actually. And it, I'm not put off by it, but 
you know, is there more to it? You want to talk about that? You want to wrestle with that a little bit and kind of figure out what it is that's really happening here and what it really means to be fed by the water of God, you know, and then she gets so excited she's able to run back and say, this guy knows all these things about me and still uh, is is sharing good news. She's seemingly not put off by her complicated history being known. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a pretty complicated story mm-hmm. here of her background. Well, it's got to be painful, regardless of, you know, what's happened. She has a life of pain. She has these husbands, but did they die? Did they abandon her? She's a person who is multiple times pressed to the edges of her her world and left to figure it out, which maybe that's what makes her more open to hearing and encountering this other person in her life. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Bishop. I think we should wrap it up there, but it's been really an honor for us to have you with us this this afternoon and share your thoughts on these texts. We want to thank all of you for listening. We're interested in hearing what you think this all means. So drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you for Bishop Lull for being with us. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. We hope you'll join us for worship each Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. with Sunday School for All People at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for listening in today. Know that wherever you are, whatever well you're sitting by, God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 